morning. I find it interesting that what we was trying to learn down in uh, Bible study this morning, which, by the way, if you don't show up down there for Bible study, you are missing out. And Wednesday nights, usually there's about, how many, Jeff, five or six Wednesday nights? We had 10 this morning in, in uh, Bible study. Evelyn does a marvelous job. And not just because she's a teacher or was a teacher, but because the anointing is on her. And she has some wisdom that uh, I find compelling. And I've said this before, you are, you are, you don't know what you're missing when you don't come down there. Am I right? Correct, and everybody has an input, more or less. So, uh, I encourage you to show up. We can make any excuse for not showing up on Sunday morning. But come time to go to work, you're up at 7 o'clock in the morning, or sometimes before that, so you don't miss out. Bible study doesn't start until what time, Evelyn? Nine. So you get at least another hour of sleep and rest, right? You don't. Pardon? Oh, wow. Well, we're going to talk about the lamb today. <laughs> but what we was learning this morning coincided uh, almost perfectly with what I want to share today. And that song that we sung just a bit ago, <coughs> about Jesus bearing our sins, how great thou art. You need to know that God loves you. No matter what your circumstances is, No matter what you're going through and the trials and the battles that you're facing, God loves you. I've been praying about this, what I'm going to share this morning. Since a month and a half ago, You ever wonder how much God loves you? I got to thinking, you know what? I've looked out over the landscape of Christianity as a whole, and I don't think that a lot of us 
not necessarily here, but as Christianity as a whole. Don't realize how much God loves us. Picture in your mind Jesus in heaven. He is seated next to the Father. And in that spotless, sinless, pure atmosphere for all the eternities in the past, He has an untold multitude of angels surrounding the throne in heaven. And the cherubims and the seraphims are praising Him and exalting Him day and night. In this absolutely pure, holy place, the holy angels in heaven are saying, Glory, glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in God's perfect plan of salvation, He asked Jesus to live, to leave that, that adoration and exaltation of all the angels to come down to this. The sin-sick, corrupt, vile, wicked earth. Do you think, can you think, conjure in your mind what it must have been for Jesus To leave the presence of the Father. Knowing that he would come down here to die. In the eons of, 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 the, of the past, of eternity's past. He had eternal life in Him. He didn't know what death was. And He came, the Bible says, willingly. And we think that we can live our lives any old way we want. I see people who say they are Christians. I have relatives who say they are Christians. But their lives does not compare to what they're saying. 
We think we can cheat, that we can lie, we, we can abuse our brothers and sisters, we think we can deceive. And we don't realize the cost. Because we want to fulfill the desires of the flesh. We want to be just like the world. We talk like it. We act like it. We dress like it. Something's wrong with us. Now, I'm not chastising you. I'm just trying to make you aware of the horrendous price that was paid for your salvation. In Matthew 28, where I'm going to be speaking from this morning, you'll excuse me. I don't know about you, but the life I lived God redeem me. And he left the presence of the angels in the presence of his father to come and redeem me when I wasn't even looking for him. The Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. I'm going to share with you this morning something about the cross. The day before, he stood before Pilate. He had a last supper with his disciples. Judas was there. I was talking with Jeff <laughs> last Sunday, I believe it was. And that last supper... The Bible says that Jesus put a towel about him and he got down on his knees and he began to wash those disciples' feet. Those disciples had, those sandals they had was nothing but pieces of leather and it was tied together at the top of the foot. They did not have concrete or asphalt. Those roads that they walked for three and a half years with the Savior was dirty, muddy, and dusty. And the Son of God, the, the only perfect one in, whose feet ever hit this planet, got down on his knees and began to wash 
the feet of those stinking feet of those disciples. Did you ever wonder what was going through the mind of Judas when Jesus washed his feet? As Jesus looked up into his eyes because Judas knew he was going to betray him. And then they go out to the garden. And Jesus is spending his last night with his disciples. And the soldiers come with the leaders of the church. And all of them ran from him. Every one of them. And when those soldiers in them Leaders of the church came to Jesus. Judas, his friend, come up and kiss Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Those 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave in those days. And they grabbed Jesus in the middle of the night. And they take him to the temple. In the 27th chapter of Matthew, they haul him before Pilate. And he's been lied about. Anybody been lied about here? Anybody been betrayed here? Anybody here been felt alone? And they bring him before Pilate and they start this showcase and fraud of a trial. In the 27th verse, Pilate asked Jesus, in the 27th chapter and the 13th verse, Then said Pilate unto him, Jesus, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word. (laughs) 
You know something? We're so quick to respond to ridicule, to slander. We're so quick to respond to people who do us wrong. We're going to get even. I'm going to say something about them. I'm going to air their dirty laundry. I'm going to let that person know what I think. Jesus said, he answered him never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they wanted, who they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on a judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, We have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas! Barabbas was a murderer and a robber. He had already been sentenced to death. In those days, there was only one way to escape the death penalty. And that was for somebody else to take your place. We want Barabbas! And Pilate said, what do I do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? In your daily lives, what do you do with Jesus? How do you live your life? How do you talk? How do you act? What do you do with Jesus? Believe me, I'm not chastising anybody here. I just want you to know that in spite of everything, Jesus loves you. Pilate said, what do we do? What do I do with Jesus? And they all shouted with one accord, crucify him! Crucify him! Kill him! He's not worth me living amongst us. Kill him! 
Then Pilate says in verse 23, Why? What evil has he done? The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed. Doesn't it say that? What evil has he done? Pilate wanted to let him go. Pilate was not a Christian. He was not not a follower of Jesus. He knew what was just. And he knew what was right. But he refused to do it. Verse 25 says, And then he answered all the people and said unto them, his, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. They knew they was condemning him to die for no reason other than envy. What they didn't understand was that the enemy was using them. (laughs) Because God had a plan. (laughs) He had the plan to save you from your sins. And the penalty of your sins. And the only way that was going to be accomplished. Was Jesus leaving heaven. And coming down here. To hang on a cross. We're going to get to that. I wonder if Brabus became a Christian. (laughs) Did you ever think about that? Here was a man who was condemned to die. He had already been through his trial. He knew he was a murderer. He knew the rotten, filthy things that he had done. (laughs) Just like me. (laughs) I tend to believe he gave a sigh of relief when Pilate said... (laughs) Let him go. But I wonder if he was in the crowd following Jesus as they took him to Golgotha. I wonder if he was at the cross. Then released he Barabbas unto them. 
And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What happened that day when he scourged him? There was a soldier who had a whip. The handle was about this long. And attached to this handle were strands And attached to the end of this, this whip was broken pottery and thorns. And they began to beat Jesus. When they began this beating, they stripped off his robe. And there was an officer there watching this event. And if that officer thought that the man that was doing the beating was not putting his, all his effort into this, That person that was supposed to be doing the beating would take the place of the one who was being beaten. So you know that when that man was whipping Jesus on his back, he was putting all his effort into it because he didn't want no part of that. And the lashes went across his back 39 times. And cut his back and the flesh was ripped from his bones. And ribbons of flesh dangled on his back. Those 39 stripes was for our healing. So that you could be healed. All the sicknesses known to man falls under one of those 39 categories. There's 39 categories of sicknesses. There's different types of cancer, but Jesus took a beating on his back so that we could be healed from cancer. He took a beating on his back so that we could be healed. Mike, I declare unto you, 
I was in the same position you were in right now. And you too, Jarhead. And you too, Eric. I was paralyzed. There's nothing the doctors could do about it. That was back in 2013. I was paralyzed from the neck down. Jesus healed me because it's done by faith. And it's done because Jesus endured the shame. And took that beating willingly. Verse 28 says, And they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon a, on his head. And they read in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him. Saying, Hail, King of the Jews. That crown of thorns was interwoven. And I want to tell you something. They didn't, they didn't just set it on his, gently on his head. They crushed that down over his brow. And that blood ran into his eyes and fell down his cheeks. Verse 30. And they spit on him and took a pole, a reed, a pole, and beat him on the head. He did it. He did it for you, folks. Don't you see? How much he loves you. Can't you? Can't you picture it in your mind? And we still want to be part of the world. We want to compromise. That was a famous word. When was it, Jeff? Back in the 70s or 80s? We just need to compromise. Right. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. 
Now what happened was this. The vertical piece of that cross was already in the ground up on Calvary, up on Golgotha. The cross member, they laid on the back of Jesus and they tied his hands on each end of that, that horizontal piece. And you must remember that he had just gone through some agonizing beating where they beat him with his fist and the loss of blood from the from the beating on his back. And he's like this with his arms outstretched. And he's he's walking. And the soldiers prodding him with the end of their spears saying, come on Jesus, we ain't got all day. And staggering through the streets of Jerusalem to the sheep gate which is on the east side of that walled city. And about a kilometer beyond the gate itself was Calvary. God loves you. He loves you, brother. With an everlasting love, he loves you. And he's staggering. And they finally get to the, to the top of the Calvary. And they untie his hands and lay, he laid down on the ground. And you wonder how much he loves you. He loves you this much. And he stretched out his hands over that horizontal piece. And he did not resist. They didn't throw him on the ground. They didn't compel him to lay down. He laid down his life, the Bible says. And I assume he said, here, put the nail here. You must remember that Jesus was perfect in thought, in word, and in deed. He was still God. He could have wiped the whole place out. 
He had the power to do that. But he didn't. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. Do you think that you're doing the will of God? Just a question. I have a sister in New York who is not really that good. She's a year older than me. And I was there to visit her when I was come home from Honduras. And she said, I want you to stay. I said, sis, I can't. Why not? I said, because God has called me to Honduras. She said, let somebody else do it. I said, no. I can't do that. Jesus was accomplishing the plans and the purposes of Jesus. And the reason that you are a Christian today, if you are, is because Jesus submitted his own will to the will of the Father. So they nailed Jesus to this horizontal piece of lumber. And what you see hanging up here has been planed. It's smooth. But that cross was anything but smooth. They did not have planers back then. So when they nailed him to that cross, all those sharp pieces of, of wood that he was being nailed to tore into his back too. And some more blood poured out. Oh Lord. Over in verse 45 of the 27th chapter. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over all the land unto the ninth hour. When they nailed Jesus to that cross, they lifted him up and set him in a slot on that horizontal piece and they tied ropes around that to hold it in place. At the bottom of where the feet was, there was a small 
block of wood that was on a slant so that when they put nailed Jesus' feet to that, to that piece of wood, Jesus could not breathe properly because if he put his weight down on that thing, he couldn't get a substantial support for his body. And he was gasping for air. And when he tried to push himself up so he could breathe easier, the excruciating pain, the hot flashes of pain shot up his spine into his brain. And there was flashes of pain and, and shock in his brain. Now you might wonder why the Bible says that there was darkness from the twelfth hour to the ninth hour, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. The sixth hour was noon. I can tell you why. Because as Jesus was nailed to that cross, the Bible says in Second First Peter two twenty four that our sins was placed upon Je- was placed upon Jesus. All the things that you've done in your life that was vile and horrendous, all those sins was placed on the body of Jesus. And Jesus nailed to that cross. And he seen the approaching sin of mankind that was going to be nailed to his body in the spirit realm. And as he's on that cross and he sees that Sin coming towards us. He tries to get away. He had not experienced sin before. And here he he was becoming sin. And he's trying as much as he could to, to avoid it. The Bible says in the 22nd chapter of Psalms that all his bones was out of joint. All his bones was out of joint because he was trying to evade even though he was nailed to that cross. That sin that we committed Our pride and our rebellion and our stubbornness was nailed to that body of Jesus. And he was contorted. And his death approached. 
shouted out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When our sins was placed on his body, the sun refused to shine. There was darkness over the whole earth. And there was not an eclipse. It was because God turned his back on Jesus. Because the Bible says, God cannot look on sin. And when Jesus gave his last breath, the Bible says that the ground shook. And the rocks split in two. Because all creation had never seen such a horrendous sight. Because that holy blood that was flowing through the brain, through the, through the body of Jesus, through his veins, was holy blood. And when that blood hit that ground, I believe the earth fractured because that was holy blood. It's not like your blood and my blood because ours is contaminated with sin and the propensity for sin. That was the price that was prayed, that was paid for your freedom for your liberty, for your salvation, for your eternal life, for your joy, for your peace. <laughs> but the story doesn't end there. Paul Harvey back in the, I think it was in the 70s, had a radio program out of Chicago and at the end of every one of his broadcasts, he would say, <laughs> now the rest of the story. <laughs> when Jesus died and they put his body in the ground, the Bible says in First Peter, no, Second Peter, that he went to hell, and we was talking about that in Sunday school this morning, in Bible study this morning, that he went to hell and preached to those Old Testament saints down there. <laughs> and he was walking up and down the abode of the hell and was preaching that he was the Christ that he came to redeem them and that he was the Christ and he came to save them. <laughs> and he walked up to the devil 
and he took the keys from hell from that man. That devil is a loser. And he snatched that keys out of his hands. And he said, come on, boys, we're getting out of here. And the third day, early in the morning, he come up out of that ground. And he didn't come up alone. He come out of that grave victorious so that we could have victory, so that we could live holy, so that we could live righteously and godly in this present world. You see, you don't have to compromise. You can stand up for what's right in the face of resistance, in the face of rejection, in the face of any adversity that the enemy puts in your way. You can live victoriously and godly in this present world. And it's all because of that cross up there. It's all because Jesus decided way back before, before anything started that he was determined to do the will of the Father and die for you and me. And that's why we got hope. Because there's more to life than what you're living. There's more. And not just in the ages to come. But right now. Right now. The Bible says that as Jesus is, present tense, well, how he is right now, so are we right now. That's what the Bible says. I don't know it all. I never, I never ever said that I did. But I know this much. I can live godly in this present world. And I don't have to sin if I don't want to. And neither do you. Hallelujah. We serve an awesome God. I serve an awesome God. I serve a God who has the blessed our best interests at heart. And you might be going through some problems and trials and tribulations. But the power of God is what's going to bring you through as you trust in Him, as you believe Him, as you rely upon Him, as you let Him guide you 
and give you the power. And when it's all wrapped up and it's all said and done, and you stand before the Father on that judgment day, you're going to hear the words, I find no fault in him. Because that's what Pilate told, I find no fault in Jesus. And the Father is not going to find any fault in you. Hallelujah. <laughs> because when you, Jesus died, you see, he gave us a robe of righteousness. And that was his righteousness. And you cannot do better than that. As much as you try. Your righteousness is not going to impress God in the least bit. No matter what your address is or what kind of job you got or had. It's the righteousness of Jesus. And he, you're going to stand before him. And you're going to hear his words from the Father and tell you, I find no fault in her. Glory to God. Glory to God. So folks, if nothing else you take away from this today, you remember this, that God loves you right where you're at right now. But he loves you enough that he wants to change you too. Because we are supposed to be being transformed and changed into the image of Jesus. Am I right? Amen. Let's stay it, folks. I don't know where you're at and with your relationship with the Lord right now. I'd, I haven't got a clue. Which is nothing unusual for me. But you know where you're at. How is it with you and the Lord now, right now? What's your position in Jesus right now? Can you call upon him right now and have him answer? Hallelujah. Father God, Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, for proclaiming me your son. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord God, and calling us your own. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal Whatsoever is displeasing in your sight, O oh Lord, and cleanse us, renew us, strengthen us, O oh God, for the battle that lies ahead of us. For we will each have a battle until the day that we die, or until you come again. I thank you, Lord, this day, I thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
for sacrificing your life for mine. Thank you, Lord, for loving us in spite of our failures and our fears and our faults. Thank you for that cleansing blood that sanctifies us and washes away all our sins. In the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare freedom for your people, Lord. I break the shackles and the desires of sin in your people's lives, O oh God. Be free in Jesus' name. In the name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Hallelujah. We love you. We praise you. We adore you, O oh God. Be exalted. Be high and lifted up in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.